Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. You're listening to AFL Nation for the Beaumont Tiles Trade Club. Welcome to the 2021 AFL Premiership season on AFL Nation. Pitches on its point, goes over the top of Power Pepper, but it sits for Rosie, who cuts the 50, doubles back, opens it up, exquisite skill, bounces it home. Bontem Pelly, can he get enough on the ball? Oh, oh yes, he can. It's Bontem Pelly. A glorious kick for goal. Minigola releases it to Cameron. He's kicking for six. Jeremy Cameron charging away. Hooker's down there, three cats jump against him. Stringer's got the crumb, runs outside of the boot, and he's nailed it. It couldn't be goal of the night with the opening goal of the night, could it? Breaks the tackle, wobbles one. Where are you, buddy? There he is! <laughs> he juggles the mark at the front. Half passing board, Petrarca, can he get it home? Yes, he can! Handed it to Green, open goal, and he'll slot it with ease. Toby Green versus the world, and Green's still winning. Great strike, magnificent kick from Joe Danaher. Massive white smile spread across his face. Welcome to AFL Nation. Ah, yes, indeed. Wherever you're finding us, however you're finding us, good afternoon and welcome to AFL Nation, our pre-game show for Beaumont Tile Club. We are three games into what's already been a fascinating final series. This is what it's all about. This is what the whole regular season is played for. It is the finals and we are in the midst of it. The game today, the Western Bulldogs take on Essendon. Round 20, the Bulldogs were in top spot on the AFL ladder. And oh, how that table did turn. They finish outside the four, and now they come up against one of the form sides in the back half of the year, and that is the Essendon Footy Club. So heaps to get through as we look ahead to that game, but so much to talk about from what we saw yesterday. We will work through the Giants and the Swans. Yes, Toby Green will be on the agenda. And then last night, Melbourne, what a statement they made. The number one defensive side in the competition. They absolutely clamped the number one attacking side in the competition in the Brisbane Lions, and we have an all-star cast assembled to give us their thoughts on that and a whole lot more. A couple of blokes that really do know September very well. Justin Lepich, Nick Del Santo as well, and one of the greats of the commentary box uh, is Dwayne Russell. Uh, gentlemen, good afternoon. Sam, lovely to be here. Lepper, always good to see you. Good day. And Sam, great to be with you as well. So many. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. I've defaulted to these guys to say hello first. So let me just start it off. The, the, we talk about a lot of little things in our pre games, about little things that happen, this thing, this thing, this thing. Did not getting that, did not having the finals go your way for that fourth grand final actually cost you at all, Lepper? Was so, that a, Lee Matthews still says that was a little thing that became a big thing for you guys. Oh, playing the away prelim yeah. in Melbourne on a Saturday night yeah. and the extra travel and the accumulation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that. That and also the fact that in the same game, Sean Hart, you know, 
broke his face and Jonathan yeah. Brown hurt himself and Alistair Lynch played with a torn quad and you could probably yeah. have the list So the of, little things actually do become big oh, things. Oh, absolutely, they do. But, you know, which one are you going to pick, though? I think... <laughs> well, Toby Green being out, he's out for a week. That'll oh, become a... Oh, you know, yeah, there's, yeah. there's so many little things that can Lepa, become big things. I have things. no sympathy for you after oh, you no, won three anyway. <laughs> so I couldn't care about four. what happened in your four. No one cares about the that Dwayne wants to sympathise with No sympathy. Can we go... Can we go... played in three... I want Can to raise that to the before the Stephen bears? Milne bounce. Can I raise the <laughs> yeah, bring it up one okay, more time. So the Stephen Milne bounce. Oh, Let me cry one more time. Okay. I think he could have got a foot to that. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> what about the 96 Stay Bears? Flip. We should have won the flag then too. Oh, no, 99 as well. No, I'm joking. No, it is. <laughs> No, it's um, oh the Stephen Milne bounce is one. That is a, That is such a when you look back now. So there's little things now that happen. And we'll look back in 10 years. I'm just wondering whether we're going to look back in, at Geelong in five years' time and say, what about that last quarterback against Melbourne in round 23? Mm, mm. It's 44-point margin. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that becomes pretty big in time. Well, it's a great lead-in to the first game yesterday because I think Sydney haven't got just one moment. They've got a lot of moments that mm. are going to play in their minds when it, 19 points down going into the last quarter. They kick the first two goals through Heaney. With nine minutes to play, they're seven points in arrears and they kick six behinds and lose by a point. Uh, it was it was a classic game and it's 3-0 and now for the Giants against the Swans in finals, which just continues to build that rivalry, which is great for footy in New South Wales. But Leper, I mean, that was as an exciting a finish. Shades of 2019, they park the bus, they fortify the walls, and they just hang on for grim death, the Giants, almost to their detriment. Oh, didn't they? What? I mean, if you said to me at the end, what, what was it, nine shots to one in the last quarter, and they, you, you walked up in three-quarter time, I would have shook your hand and go, yep, no worries, I'll take the nine shots to one. And then you're going... Oh my gosh! There's only one possible way to lose this. It's like that, a rigged carnival setup, isn't oh, it? Oh, <laughs> it's it's amazing the way it, it ended up um, from a GWS perspective. They really parked the bus, and I'm not sure it, it was a great strategy for them. I mm. thought they did it a little a little too early. They started to chip the ball around too much. We spoke about this yesterday, and we just touched on it earlier. So my take on that watching the game yesterday is that is clearly not an inst- instruction. So there was a moment with about I think there was 18 minutes to play plus time on in that last quarter. So it's 20 to 25 yeah. odd minutes ago. Cal Ward takes a mark in the middle of the ground. Instantly doesn't face up towards goal as most players are taught. He looks sideways and then slightly back and takes that really safe conservative option and goes backwards. That surely can't be one of the messages from the coaching staff at three-quarter time to say, hey, if you get the ball in an attacking position in the middle of the ground, don't go forward. Yeah. Uh, was Is that, that late in quarter? No, that was early. Early oh, in the yeah. last. Well, you see it late in quarters from GWS quite a bit as a part of their but strategy, but not for That would be the player. My take on that would be the, the players – trying to identify a moment, but then ultimately doing it far too early and actually bringing the pressure on themselves. Yeah, normally they've been pretty good in that space, uh, GWS. They wouldn't move forward from about the centre part of the ground. But, oh, yeah, you, you've identified Adele. They were way too, way too conservative yep. to a mm. point that it should have cost them the game. So there's lessons even out of winning sometimes. Uh, but you trust Cal Ward, though. I, I do. I mean, if Cal yeah. Ward makes that decision, it's a bit it. different to a young, you know, if, if Tom Green yes. makes that decision, yep. you think, okay, Tom... You know, it's a pretty big decision to make. Is that against the plan? But I reckon Leon Cameron would say if Cal Ward wants to make a decision against the overall plan, then it's probably not such a bad decision. When I I saw it and we spoke about it when we were on air, I just thought it identified their mindset. So whether it was communicated... Which is infectious because if I'm Tom Green and I see Cal Ward do that, I think next time I've maybe got to take the the mini mini second to 
to have a think about whether playing on is a good option or and, not. And for the Giants, so fortunate they get to correct it within seven days. So, so un, un, if they had have gone the other way, you've got six months to think about what you could have done better in that last quarter. Maybe you don't even analyse that last quarter as a coaching staff and playing group. But they need to correct that straight away because they are going to be in a situation similar to that next weekend. And it doesn't mean the coaches are even going to agree. I remember a game. You remember the great Gold Coast game where there's two games that Richmond lost up in, up in Cairns. Yep. And one of them, there was a very succinctly remember, we had the ball right in the middle of the ground, you know, pretty much kicking from the centre circle. And the player at the time kicked backwards 10 metres. There's two minutes to go in the game. And then the next kick went sideways, you know, and then it almost trickled out of bounds and then went forward and... and you know, the rest was history and the Gold Coast won the game. We debated that whether that first kick from the centre of the ground should have just gone long to the top of the square and just used the last minute and a half to hem them in or do you use the last minute and a half to bounce the ball around and try and keep it off the opposition? So, And not even that coaching department could decide equally. I was of the opinion, just boot it in there and let's just keep it in the front half for hopefully a minute and a half and we risk them getting it back. Whereas other people are like, no, see how long you can hold the ball around for. So you're not even going to get the mm. same sort of agreement even in the, in the same match committee. So the, fi- the finish in that game, certainly worthy of a Furphy unbelievable moment for the final so far for Furphy Refreshing Ale. Born in Geelong, unbelievable. So as we said, six behinds in a row to go down by a point. There, That is a Furphy Refreshing, unbelievable moment for the Furphy Refreshing Ale. Born in Geelong, unbelievable. Uh, I want to ask you, we've spoken about this with Dale a little earlier, but for Leper and you, Dwayne, when Buddy lines up with a couple of minutes to go in his spot outside 50, was there a part of you that no matter what you tipped or, or, or where you thought or what you wanted for this game, were you like I was just going, oh, please. Footy gods. Yeah, foot, yeah. This footy is, gods this have is got the finish for us. Because this is a moment that will just continue, that will, will live on in his legend and legacy mm. forever. I think everybody in their lounge room stands up in that moment. Yeah, that's right. And uh, <laughs> and he normally does um, finish every time he's in that yeah. part of the ground, doesn't he? But he, he hasn't done it too often down the lawns. I suppose he's Hawthorne days. I don't yeah. know what he's like. 2007, the, the final have, against the Adelaide. The Poster would have gone back to the middle for a 6-6-6 six, six and six with a minute left. Yeah. So and they had not been a guarantee. winning clearance. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's all it's not necessarily a guarantee. I know what you're saying, but it is it was a footy gods of scripted this kind of moment. I think all that that right post. I think the whole I think yeah. one thing Sydney want to do is dig up that right post down the lawn system there and <laughs> yeah, but and Hogan just hit get, it put a new one in. It's how many times did it yeah. happen? Probably yeah. five or six times that same post. So that that cost them more than anything. How, how did you see it because the numbers it, it's hard to get a gauge on this game when Swans had plus 19 inside 50s are plus 6 from center clearance uh, six more marks inside 50 yet the Giants in that second quarter especially four goals from stoppage three oh, inside uh, 450 Sam this is a perfect question I want to ask Leper and Dow yep. can you explain to me why so many teams are so good at winning games without winning clearance well, it's, it's great question. Normally, because scores from there's double the amount of turnover opportunities. So, if you talk about just the actual opportunities, but also it depends whether you get scored against from clearance, not how many clearances you win, because you can actually set up with spares behind a clearance. So, you can win a, a ten of them. So, no team would want to lose the clearance, but there are some teams that seem to be advantaged by losing. Yeah, well, also they might set up with one less around the clearance. So, if you, it's like yeah, centre clearance as well, though. Strangely enough, well, centre, obviously centre clearance is what it is. I yeah. mean, you have to play in you know the AFL fix yeah. it to a certain part of the ground. So that's a different beast altogether. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, around the ground clearances, you can set up potentially to have one less number and maybe one one more number behind the ball. Yeah, um, it, so could, it could also be as detailed as a player, for example, coming up from the half forward line to be a pressure player, or whether he holds back. So mm. whether that ball is won or lost, you've got players in yeah. five to ten meters of different so, so starting want, positions, which so, can have a huge influence on the flow after that moment. So what's the more valuable guy now? The the guy who wins the clearance in tight but rushes the kick. Or the intercept halfback who can take you the halfback mark, Tom Stewart, Alia, or Alia style. I think what becomes one of the most important things is if you are minimal, so say you're a minus one at the stoppage and you can put that pressure on to force the opposition that have got an extra that stoppage to kick it quickly, yeah. those pressure players and forcing them to have a quick kick is as valuable as anything. Which brought, which allows, brought the heat, didn't yep. they? They brought the heat to that. Probably the best way to describe it is Richmond over the last four years one of the worst pre-clearance contested possession teams at the source, but probably the best or the best outside yeah. it. So, so if you tell me what sort of contested possession is more valuable, it's not the one in inside, yeah. it's the one outside that gives you the – because you're winning the ball in space. You're not winning the ball when there's a, a massive So did bodies. you ring the clearance from a from a distance in some ways and, and back rants and – I mean, you had Asprey rants. I mean, you had a good defence. Look, really, there's yeah. a lot of complexity with stoppage because, as Dell said, sometimes you're playing a forward. He's playing as a forward, but he's got enough striking distance to also impact the stoppage if he if the ball goes a certain way. Yeah. Or you might have a winger on the fat side. He's playing on the wing, but he's also angling himself that, oh, if we do lose this, I might be able to come third to help defensively. So he's sort of a wingman, but he's also – aiming to go both ways, depending on which way the ball goes. So there is a lot of complexity to I the stoppage at times. I love yeah. the so detail of it. I love the detail That second possession out of the clearance and how much pressure you put on that and whether you can win it back, it's uh, pushing you guys in. So you get them as you're sort of pushing your guy in, thinking he's going to be lured to the ball and I'm right. two well, minutes behind him we, we at the clearance and I've got space Friday behind night. me. We saw it on Friday night in some small glimpses where Alir Alir was absolutely superb. But if those Geelong players had time and space, yeah, so they clearly Ollie wouldn't. Wines doesn't put pressure yes. on that kick. Yep. Aaliyah doesn't mark that Correct. ball. Correct. The and ball's you, going in a completely different direction. And you mentioned Tom Stewart, which is the other part of that equation, is that Geelong are 15th for centre clearances on average through the course of the year. But the get-out has often been Stewart, and yeah. he's not there anymore. And no, that's, the other thing with Geelong, though, I wonder, Port Adelaide, everyone in their forward line can kick goals. So every Port Adelaide forward is dangerous. So, you know, Rosie... Fantasia, you can list them all. Whereas Geelong don't, Geelong have two guys who aren't necessarily goal kicking forwards. They're yeah. they're pressure forwards, so you can you can zone off those guys a little with a little more confidence than you can zone off a. You're not going to zone off a Rosie or a yeah. Fantasia, are you? Butters, butters, mm. yeah. Yeah, well, it depends how far you're away from the ball, I guess. We're getting into real <laughs> complex now. I'm getting, oh, I, 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 would, I would have found a way to zone yeah, off. Of course you would. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are off and running. Uh, get involved with us, 0433981116. Uh, so much to still talk through, and there's plenty more to digest from that game, the Giants and the Swans. Also, Melbourne's comprehensive performance over the Lions. What a statement they made, and uh, we can't wait to sink our teeth into that one as well. We will address Toby Green and get the views uh, of all the panel here on what awaits him and what the decision will be uh, for Michael Christian to refer him straight to the tribunal or does he get off with a fine? So there's a heap to play out today. A shout out for Flight Centre. Win big with Flight Centre. Five years of holidays big. Where will you go? Flightcentre.com.au slash to win. Are you listening to AFL Nation? Justin Lepich, Nick Dalsano, Dwayne Russell, Sam Hargraves as well. Great to have your company on a Sunday afternoon. You're listening to AFL Nation for the Beaumont Tiles Trade Club. 
Three out of four finals, one and run, or run and one, depending on uh, how that saying goes, which I should have mm-hmm. checked beforehand, but you are listening to AFL Nation. Hey, shout out to Ringers Western too. Never has the AFL Nation commentary team looked this good. Ringers Western clothing looks great in the city and toughs it out on the land. Justin Lepish, Nick Dalsano, Dwayne Russell, Sam Hargraves here as well. Um, Melbourne's performance yesterday... The first quarter was as electric and as fast and fierce and furious as a first quarter. It was everything you want a finals first quarter to be. And then after that, the McStay going off was a, a big out for Brisbane. But they totally controlled a play. They just strangled the lines, didn't allow them any flow, any fluidity. And they get a 33-point win, Leper. And uh, that was a, a, as big a statement as I can remember seeing. Number one defence first, number one offence. They were just undeniable, Melbourne. Yeah, it was always going to be hard how to judge Brisbane going into this game, given who they'd played uh, previously leading in, and they, they played the best, didn't they? And it just shows you you can't move the ball really well against the best team in the opposition. Why def- That's why defence is the most important thing, Dale, um, in the in the game. <laughs> yes. But, yep. uh, it's won a well, loss in the midfield. It is won a loss. And that's where Riker's contested position was really important. I love that part of the game. I mean, at the first quarter, quarter time, was, you're sitting there. I was like, how good is this game? You've got high contest, high pressure, high scoring. Tick, tick, tick. Isn't that what, Gil, just, just put that quarter in a time capsule <laughs> yeah. and say, right, go get the rules committee, go watch it and go, how do we emulate this every time? Can I put this back to you, though, as a past senior coach and being involved if you were in those situations or either team last night and it was that style of game, would have you been concerned? Depends which team I had. Okay, let's okay. Say you're the D's and yep. you're I think it was roughly a goal up at quarter time. You've kicked yep. five, the opposition kicked four. Is that still not good enough? It depends on what how they kicked it. And again, you don't want to go into too many detail. If if for instance your system's holding up fine and let's say three of those goals was because, you know, the umpire paid a free kick out in front, a little clip over the head, and the other one was a little accidental trip and the other one like fell over in front of goal. Well you go, Well, it's not a system issue. It's yep. just these are just three unlucky things that happened in a row. So you've got to You've got to sort of allow for just human error as far as your system as well. So that's where coaches look a little bit deeper in it just to make sure it's not the system that's breaking down. And if you were the Brisbane Lions and you're a goal down, would you have been really concerned with what you just saw for 30 minutes? No, I actually think both teams would have been happy and and just probably would have just seen it as as the arm wrestle. They probably – both teams probably wouldn't have liked the – they would have loved the way they were scoring but wouldn't have liked the way the opposition was scoring. With with that performance yesterday, so quarter time, I mean, that's a – that's when you're sitting at home watching that, you're like, oh, this is this is scoring's often. You look at the champion data numbers, scoring's often up in the first quarter and down in that last quarter. We think the game breaks open with fatigue mm. and there's going to be more scoring, but it's almost as if teams get a chance to um, uh, look at each other and scope each other out and then work it out on the run as to how we're going to evolve this game for our method to work. So, I mean, how much would it change, how, especially with McStay going down? Brisbane kind of have to change everything, don't they? Well, I, did, I thought they had to move the ball quicker. So whenever you've got a shorter front half of the ground, it means it's got to be quicker and towards the ground. It, it makes just makes sense, mm. doesn't it? You can't. And you be, said that in the commentary. Yeah, last you can't night. be long, high, and slow if you've got a very short forward line. It just suits the taller players. And I just thought whether Melbourne didn't give them the opportunity or they didn't have the courage to take mm. the game on, one of the two. Uh, I thought it was probably more Brisbane not having the courage, to, or they might have been tired. Because often in fatigue, you, you know, you don't have the run in your legs or. Um, you're sort of resting up for a bit. But it was that, I think, more than the, the opposite. Brisbane didn't take the game on enough, and I thought in the third quarter they did. But then Melbourne dominated all the inside 50 balls. So they were, I thought Brisbane played a bit more breakneck speed, but they only scored one goal in 20 entries or something. So it, it, it was. So then it's not the method, it's just the talent in your forward half. So, again, the problems are always shifting in the game. Sometimes it's your full grand D, sometimes it's your individuals and your back 50, sometimes it's your individuals and your forward 50. It always changes. And I still think that, 
most difficult thing as a player in those moments and you've run 10 to 15 kilometres and you've got corkies and you've been, you're exhausted is to identify the flow of that game. So as an individual, if you kick the ball inside forward 50 and it's intercepted, you identify that moment. But the rest of the midfielders, their mind's instantly about covering the exits or finding their man or coming forward. So it's really hard to identify a flow of play. We have the luxury to sit here and watch it on TV or live and we put together a 10-minute block and say, ah, oh, they're entries. They're wasting the kicks inside forward 50. But in the heat of the moment, at ground level, where you don't have the same depth perception, it's so hard to understand how fast the ball's been going. You know, you might be exhausted, but Leper, the guy standing right next to you, is perfectly fine. So he's got a completely different feel of what the game is doing. Yeah, And that's why the best teams identify the game situation as a whole. So with the attack versus defence, so what is more important? What wins your game? It's almost like uh, uh, Darth Vader... Uh, versus Obi-Wan Kenobi. Is it the dark side or the light, depending on how you look at it? And this is we, – we've seen finals won and lost different variations of this. We know defence wins finals. Does it necessarily win you a grand final? I'd love to get both your thoughts. And did you see enough of Melbourne's offence last night to go, okay, they're not just all that defence. They've got the tools required and the weapons to deploy to kick a winning score, not just defend one? Yeah, I still think they shifted the ball a little bit better than what they had the D's are attempting to, given the given the conditions. So I think their their offensive game's grown slowly over the course of the year. Um, no, they haven't been as potent and as, as consistent as the Lions in that. But um, but I just think they do it. They don't do it at the detriment of their defense, if that makes any sense. So their risks of the of, with the ball will always have their insurance policy behind the ball. They'll always have what they do well. I I still feel like the game is defence first, and a lot of coaches will reference that. Let's get our defence organised throughout the summer. Let's start implementing it throughout the year, and then you can build your ball movement off the back of that team defence initially. There's a balancing act, and I instantly go back to the Tigers three of the last four years. They had a fantastic forward half, and I think in some ways bits that went underestimated was their pressure on the football, the way that they structured up behind the football, a lot of individuals got these accolades because they had so many stars. But without that, you don't get the offensive flow anyway. So I think of the last decade, just off the top of my head, the Hawks were exceptional as well. They were a really good balanced team. The defense was non-negotiable and they had potency and game and match winners in the front half. There are a lot of articles and commentators criticizing Melbourne for spending so much on getting two key defenders as recruits, getting Lever and May, saying, well, why would you recruit two key defenders and spend all your money on defence? And it hasn't paid that, off. Yeah, we're seeing it at the moment. Yeah, I mean, so, you've, you've got, you've got. Obviously, ugly... I didn't say that. No, because <laughs> <laughs> that's a, they're the two most important pillars of your game. I think the one difference when you look at say a Carlton performance this year in Melbourne, the, the two keys for for Carlton were I think had have had almost as good a season as Lever and May, Weedering and Jones, but. The way they protect those two boys to be at their best versus Weedering and Jones is a little bit different. Their system enables them to be better. So we're going to get to a break. Harry Himmelberg is going to join us shortly. Uh, just some of the numbers in midfield. Before I ask you one final question about the Lions, Petrarca uh, kicked the two goals, had 30 disposals, 10 score involvement, 699 metres, four clearances, eight inside 50s. Oliver was incredible. 33 disposals at 70%. He kicked a goal, 18 contested, 10 score involvements, almost 600 metres, seven clearances, and four goal assists by foot. His kicking is maybe, as we talk about, his engine and his tank and his commitment, his kicking is uh, gone to another level. So that's massive wins for, for Melbourne and Gorn, 37 disposals, 19, mark, uh, 19 disposals, six marks. What do the Lions do now? Well, I think there's a couple of things in the Lions game that the opposition is starting to look at. 
The first, and there's probably things you don't notice as much on the screen, but the positioning of their defenders is one. They're very much play in front uh, and sometimes a long way in front. So if you're a midfield that can break the line and burst forward, I guess if you're trying to envisage it, you break through the stoppage. And um, Christian Petrarca actually spoke about this after the game, how they were to break through the front of the stoppage. Well, if you have a defender that's playing a long way in front, well, then all of a sudden you can kick it over his head to the back. So that just happened on repeat. And and I think they have to readjust sometimes that part of their game if they're coming up against a midfield that's as dominant as their own because it's a little bit of all duck, no dinner because let's say Melbourne do bo- just blast the ball quickly. Well, of course it's going to land down Harris, Harris Andrews' throat and he'll mark it because he's a long way in front. Um, but if it doesn't work, any, it all, variation. any variation of that doesn't help them. So there's that, there's one, and the others is their wingers. I thought Mitch Robinson um, and Human Cluggage, they get back really hard in defense. And I thought Melbourne did it really well, whether they went all the way with them or they got used to inside 50 for a little mark. I thought they're the two parts of the game. I thought they did really well for the coach's box. So Melbourne through to a prelim. Brisbane will take on the winner of today's game between Essendon and the Bulldogs. We're going to speak to Harry Himmelberg, uh, Ford for the Giants, up after this. It was a just a thrilling finish to yesterday's game and we will dedicate a full segment to Toby Green. A lot of text coming through. We don't just want to reference it quickly. It is one of the biggest stories for the year and we will give it its due time. Uh, We've got plenty of it uh, on AFL Nation. Great to have your company with us. You're listening to AFL Nation for the Beaumont Tiles Trade Club. It was set up. Somehow the Giants have withstood it all. The Swans have blown their chances. The Giants advance to a semi-final. Finals football in Tasmania arrives with a bang. Welcome back to AFL Nation. Brilliantly called by Anthony Hudson. AFL Nation yesterday, the Giants had to withstand the last six shots on goal. Seven points up with nine minutes to play, and it ended up going their way. A man that kicked two crucial goals to get that one-point win was Harry Himmelberg, who's been good enough to join us on AFL Nation. Harry, hello to you. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Mate, uh, what was that feeling like when that siren sounds? The weight of entries, the pressure, you were up against it, you were able to withstand it. Just describe describe the emotions that you were feeling when you heard that siren. Yeah, I think um, geez, it, it was a good feeling, to be honest. Like you said, they, they came at us hard and we knew they were going to come because they're, they're a bloody good team and um, very potent up forward, obviously, and... Um, yeah, it was it was a, a bit of a um, bit of a. Uh, it was coming in hot towards the end there, and our backs um, withstood the pressure really well. So, um, yeah, really, really good win. Harry, what did it look like from the forward line from a Giants perspective? You're looking down the ground, 18 inside 50. So the Swans in the last quarter it looked like the ball movement had completely stopped, and the aggression that we saw for the first three quarters for the Giants was electrifying. But then you hardly saw it in the last quarter. Were you getting concerned that the game style, from your perspective, it just stopped so much it wasn't going to give you a chance to win? Oh, I think I think we we knew that the Swans were going to come really hard, and um, that they're such a aggressive team with the way that they move the footy and their ability to score really quick. So um, we probably um, got a few things wrong in that last quarter, um, like you said, with with our ball movement, but. At the same time, we knew they were going to we knew they were going to come hard at us, and um, yeah, full credit to to our back six in that last quarter, just copping inside fifties uh, the whole quarter and being able to withstand it. So um, yeah, we held up really strong there. So was that the messaging then to to chip the ball around a lot from that really early stage, or was it just a mistake or a, a, an error in communication from Leon? What what was that? Because it, it did look like it was really early when the bus was parked. Yeah, I think. 
um, it's it, it's usually on the players out on the field to be able to um, to be able to sort of weather the storm. And, and like I said, we knew that they were going to come hard. And I think um, you, you probably when you've got a bit of a lead coming into a last quarter like that, and the the way that the game was played, um, I think Toby touched on it. We we were pretty gassed. Um, after the first three quarters, so it was it was um, it was about sort of trying to weather the storm. And like I said, we got a few things wrong as far as um, probably holding onto the footy and going backwards and sideways a little bit too much. But it's something that um, obviously we're going to look at and um, sort of try and fix up in the future. But yeah, uh, also the final the finals pressure is immense and um, quite a young team as well. So. Um, there, there will be little hiccups in, in the ball movement and stuff like that, but um, the way that we were able to withstand it uh, in the end was was pretty good, I think. Harry, tell us about that pressure. Did it feel like that? I know you've got an extremely young group, a handful of guys that would have had their first experience of finals football last night or yesterday afternoon. Did it feel like that, that it was a different style of game again? Yeah, yeah. I think also the fact that there was um, about um, about 10,000 or so, I think it might have been a, a bit of a crowd. We haven't played in front of a crowd for six weeks and just that bit of roar and adds a little bit um, different element to it. And I think we had for, uh, eight first first finals from, from players in our team, which is quite extraordinary and, um, like you said, quite a young team. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a different feeling and... Um, all those guy, all those eight guys will be will be better for the run. I think Jesse Hogan stood up in his first final, and uh, it's bloody exciting that he got to play his first final for us, and and we've loved him since he's come over. What did you make of Jesse's game? I was going to ask you about him. I thought he was superb yesterday. He was back to clunking those big uh, big grabs, missed a couple of opportunities in that third. But beside you, was that as good as you've seen him move and play? Oh, I think so. I think. Ever since he got to the footy club, um, obviously a few niggles and injuries and stuff throughout the year, but ever since he got to the footy club, I've learned a lot of him. He's, he's such a good player, and I think uh, a lot of people do forget how good he, how good he was before he um, had those injuries and a few problems. But it's um, the way that he's come into the footy club and sort of embraced the new life and, and, and his positive mindset towards um, trying to sort of reignite his career has been amazing. And um, I've loved playing alongside him and. Another one was Zach Sproul last night, who in his first final stood up and, and kicked two big crucial goals as well. So um, very pleasing, and, and the forward line was working quite well. How much easier has the last month been for the football club as a whole, but particularly the playing group, knowing that you've had the lure of finals and then the excitement of actually being able to go down to Tassie and play in front of a crowd? Opposed to, I guess, last year where you're away for a period of time but then weren't playing finals. Yeah, I think um, the fact that we're... We've sort of been hovering around that mark, like you said, uh, and, and the and the lure of finals has sort of driven us. And um, we probably looked like we were going to sort of go down that same path at one stage. And we had some really, really uh, some tough chats um, in the in the hub. And we sort of said, uh, if we if we if we want to waste um, the opportunity that we've got here on the road, um, or we can sort of look at it the other way and really embrace it and come together as a group and. And as a young group, especially, and start playing um, the way that we wanted to, uh, and we did that. And um, the last four or five weeks has been really pleasing um, to see the resilience of the group and uh, and how we've sort of performed under a little bit of adversity, which has been which has been good. You've got more adversity coming your way in the form of uh, the Toby Green incident, Harry. So, have you guys been uh, discussed that uh, this week as a club? Have you all sat down and watched it together? Uh, what can you tell us about where you guys have found yourselves with that internally? We actually we haven't had a meeting yet. We haven't because uh, we 
we finished up the game last night and then we were off to uh, out to Barn Bugle about an hour out of uh, Lonnie. So we're um, we've actually got the day off today, so we're all sort of scattered around um, around the the golf club where we are. Um, so we haven't had a meeting or anything about it yet, and uh, I'm not sure how they how they're going to go about touching on it and stuff like that. I think we'll sort of just let the let the course of of what's to be um, run. Um, but yeah, haven't really seen. Um, any other coaches or anything today we've got the day off so just been doing a bit of recovery and, and stuff like that but I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on it at some stage during the week. You were a couple of metres in front of Toby weren't you walking off so did you see Matt Stevick having the chat with Toby as you walked past? No I didn't I didn't I was um, yeah I, I, I missed that one but um, Could you hear it? Yeah obviously I've seen the replays and stuff like that and um, I'm not sure there, there was um too much, too much in it, uh, to be honest. But um, I think it's, there's always going to be a talking point around it when, when it's Toby. And like I said, I think we'll just let the let the course of it run, and uh, I think they'll get it right, um, whichever way it goes. So, yeah, there's not too much to comment on, really. I didn't really see it happen or, or hear much either. So, is it? Do you think, from a GWS perspective, do you think Toby Green does get the the raw end of the stick? I know some of the players have come out in support for Toby. Not Scott not just Pendlebury's come out. Yeah, in not just Toby. not just in this occasion, but in, in the past as well. People are always mixed with Toby. He's got. A, he's almost like he's a professional at walking that fine line. He just does it and polarizes <laughs> opinion. Is the word internally from a Giants perspective? You think he does get the raw end of the stick? Oh, it's not really spoken about too much, to be honest. I think. He's just one of those guys you love or hate, and and as a footy club, we love him. He, the way that he goes about his footy is um, like you've seen the people's opinions and stuff like that. He, he's he's such a good player and a leader, and you, he does he does play on the edge, and that's what we love about him. So um, I don't think you can um, really opinionate too much um, on it as far as as far as what you're saying with him getting targeted or whatever, but. Um, yeah, I think, to be honest, it, there wasn't too much in it from my perspective. So, Harry, before we let you go, um, you, I, said, I know you haven't, you've said you haven't had the actual review meeting yet, but you would have had a chat after the game, I'm sure. Was the feeling in the rooms like, yep, we were able to withstand that onslaught, or was there a sense of, geez, we might have just got a little bit lucky there with their inaccurate kicking? Without taking the gloss off the win, how were you guys feeling about that, and how, how was it viewed? Yeah, after the game, we, we sort of had a chat, and... Um, Leon sort of touched on some of the things that we, we did well obviously and um, one of the things that he did say was we had great courage and, and we came together as a team and played some good footy but yeah you're right there's things that you're always going to look back on and, and um, I'm sure during the week we'll review those things um, but yeah we, we, we probably didn't have to be in that position in the last last quarter like you said um, so but that's that's finals I guess and and we'll review it pretty hard this week and on to the next one pretty quickly, I think, to be honest. Absolutely. And, Harry, to be 0-3, to have made finals and some hiccups along the way and to be away from home for the time that you guys have, it is a phenomenal performance and one that the, the club should be so, so proud of and we know that you will be in a big game against Geelong next week and who knows what can happen uh, on any given Saturday, as they say. So, mate, congratulations. Enjoy. You're in a very nice part of the world. Dal knows the golf course at Barnes. Well, it's a bit sad, really. And they're out there playing... 18, and you're talking to us, Harry. Yeah, I know. We, 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 everyone play, gets a short straw. My only advice would be play an iron off the first. You don't want to lose a ball in your no, first tee shot. Harry, you're play. writing this down. Iron off the first. <laughs> no, fair. 
if you walk through the grass here, there's, there's quite a few golf balls in there. So I think they're, most they're people mine. just uh, <laughs> they've played the driver off the first. Yeah. <laughs> and if, if Leon needs an assistant, he's got my number. <laughs> 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 oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> back in all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> Very quick negotiation to get into a quarantine at Barn Bugle from Lepper. Harry, thanks so much for joining us, mate. Enjoy and good luck against the Cats next week. No worries. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, we are going to speak about uh, Toby Green in, in a full segment detail, but I think we just need to give that a bit of credibility. From where they were, the injuries that they've sustained, the slip-ups against North and Hawthorne, and to get themselves into the finals and to win one against their arch rival. I mean, this is a great performance and story for the season. I think we forget, and uh, I think it might have been around four or five of the season, we're all well, we're under the pump, and we're all seeing what's going on with the Giants, and I think most of all, I was definitely of the opinion it's not Leon's fault. He's just what the cards have he's dealt, been dealt, and all the players that are left. He's just going to have to go through a bit of a mini rebuild. I'm sorry, that, well, that was my thoughts yeah. anyway. And, he, geez, and he's proven a lot of us wrong, but he's, it's not wrong though because you got Nick Haynes down back with a part-time Lockie Whitfield and then a bunch of kids. Like normally, that needs to be the most experienced party of ground to mm. be good in finals, and it's not. And they're holding up really well. A couple of young guys yesterday, Steen and Sproul, were superb. For, yeah, for Sam what, Taylor still. I mean, oh, yeah, Taylor. any other yeah, player yeah. might have got six kicked on. Yeah, you're right. But yep. for that group to stand up under that pressure, particularly late in that game, it was a significant effort from a young group. Uh, absolutely was. Adam and, Cooney wasn't. He, he was saying that they're now where they probably should have been and he's cutting them no slack whatsoever for their early season failure. <laughs> he was essentially well, saying, okay, right, you got now you're where you're supposed to be. Let's see you in action. Mm. Well, he's a shock jock, Adam Cooney. Is there a stronger and harsher voice in the game? I don't know than Adam Cooney. Well, maybe we do. Who expected them to finish eighth? Did most people expect them to finish eighth? Oh, I had a mate. Okay. Oh, did you? Oh, it's on well, record, Dale. Like, You'll have Adam to show Cooney, us where. Actually, Adam Cooney and I did a segment at the start of the year where we said, who's the one that you're expecting to be in the eight that no one else is? And we did our top eights, and we both had GWS eight, which easy, we didn't get right because they were seventh. I had, yeah, him, I, I, had him, I had him seventh playing Sydney <laughs> <laughs> and winning by in a final in Tasmania uh, yes. <laughs> by a point. That's why, that's why you're the one of the best. That's why you're a man <laughs> in demand, uh, Justin Leppie. No, phenomenal performance, and the performances of, of some swans too. Heaney, four goals, 21 disposals just uh, uh, reinforced his bona fides as a star of the game. And uh, there's plenty that we can take out of that game. And Sydney should be really proud of the season. They've been uh, they've been able to put together as well. Okay, Toby Green on the agenda. So many texts coming through. 0433981116. I'm going to jump out. Brett Phillips is going to come in uh, and we will dissect that within an inch of its life. It is the biggest story in football right now. And we'll talk about it next on AFL Nation for Beaumont Tiles Trade Club. You're listening to AFL Nation for the Beaumont Tiles Trade Club. Welcome back to AFL Nation as we build up to the Western Bulldogs and Essendon uh, this afternoon. Uh, Brett Phillips rejoining Nick Del Centre, Justin Lepage, uh, Dwayne Russell. We are going to devote some more time to the Toby Green uh, story here. We've got about six and a half minutes before we're going to uh, take a, a break, uh, Dell and uh, Lepper. So, Dell, we spoke about it sort of briefly in that 12 to 1 hour. Lepper, weigh in here with your thoughts on the uh, Toby Green situation. Oh, can I start with saying I love Toby Green? And I, and I think over the course of time, he does get a bit of a, a rough end of the stick. But there's so many parts of this. Every person I've, I've spoken to, we've got from passionately should be suspended through to passionately shouldn't be suspended and everything else in between. And as I said before, he has a fantastic way to do that, hasn't he, Toby? To be so polarising. 
there's so many parts of this for me when I look at it. There's moments where I'm, I'm like, why didn't he just move out of his way, Toby? You know, but then he's coming towards a guy to talk to him. And then there's other parts. Um, I look at Matt Stevick and think, why is Matt Stevick not moving out of the way and going back to his position? You know, why is he sort of almost giving him the power stance as well? And why is it? So you or think of all the ways why this, how this just could have been avoided from the start. So we don't have to even talk about it because we don't want to. We just want all want to Toby Green to play next week. But I think the ultimate thing is that did Toby give him enough respect to walk out of the way of the umpire? I think that's what we want to see in the community. We want to see us as players walking, uh, making sure we walk around an umpire, show respect to an umpire, and not just treat them like a piece of dirt, thinking, oh, well, if he's in my road, well, well I was walking in a straight line. If, if you bump me, I bump me. You know, that sort of thing. It kind of has a bit of that air to me. Mm. I don't think it's malicious. I don't think he really tried to hurt the umpire. I actually think it's probably more arrogant than anything what Toby was doing, um, more than malicious. So, But it just doesn't look good. So he's got to get in his brain, I think, Toby, that just those little things just overemphasize. Know who you are. You are the villain, unfortunately, in the footy circles. Accept the villain's role. So the villain often sometimes has to go out of the right, out of the way a little bit more than the other guy. Okay, because you don't get, unfortunately, you're treated as as evenly as others. Uh, I, I don't like the, the conversation that flows on with any of these sort of incidents. That we need to set an example here so it doesn't filter through this sort of action to the yeah. lower levels. I'd like to identify this as its own incident. Now we are all well and truly aware that you cannot make contact with an umpire in all of those four categories that we touched on previously. Now, what we've also seen in the last year or two is you can touch an umpire and get a fine. Mm. So there's now we're starting to go into grey areas. Degrees, so the bit yeah. that I get disappointed with the incident yesterday is we're now talking about the force of that contact or whether there was contact at all. I want to go back to Toby from the five metres that he approached that, knowing that if he had have continued on the path that he did, Leper, that he was going to make some sort of contact or get into enough space with umpire Matt Stevick, there would be a question around it. He had the opportunity five metres previously to make a decision that I don't want to even engage, knowing full well whether he's written, uh, read the rules of the game or whether he's just grown up with the game like we all have from the age of five, you know you can't get into that space at all. Yep. He was frustrated from an incident that happened with four minutes to go on the clock where he gave away that free kick to McInerney, and I think he was still discussing that and why it wasn't the right call, rightly or wrongly. I thought the umpire got that call right at that time as well. It was a forceful arm. Yep. But... W- I don't like this conversation where we get, well, was it enough force? Did he really do it? He shouldn't have been there. And that's taken out into, I'm not here about setting an example for young kids coming. They all know the rules. Yep. We don't need to give him 10 to 12 weeks to prove a point. We know the point. People still break the rules every day in society. You know you're not allowed to import drugs all around the world, but people do and they get penalised. We don't need to make a rule about this specifically. He needs to get penalised, unfortunately. So in saying that... One, intentional contact with an umpire. So contact with an umpire that is aggressive, forceful, demonstrative or disrespectful. I think that's that's the word at mm. the end there. Disrespectful will be deemed intentional and the player will be directly referred to the tribunal. So do you think that's where it goes? It's one of here? those four. It, it, best case scenario, it's disrespectful. Oh, look, oh, look, it is absolutely disrespectful. Any time you yell at an umpire, it's disrespectful, though. So you can you could actually have been just any sort of abuse is disrespectful. So it, it is a difficult one. It does. It is very grey, and that's why sometimes they have all these rules that are a little grey, so they can almost predetermine if they don't like the look of it um, overall. So I think that will be the bit in the end. If the AFL don't like the look of it, and it's not a great look do you at think, the end of the day. So bottom line, do you think that – what do you think that he should get, Toby? Uh, I mean, for me, I'd like I'd like to see a, something very minor, whether it's a, a fine. Given the final, I don't want the week. That's a thing. But the problem is you can't live in that world. Yeah. Um, I, I actually think he will get a week only for the fact that I just think it's something that we don't want to see in the game. 
So that's whether I like it or not, I just think that's what's going to be happening. So is Chris O constrained by the decision he made with Lockie Neal early this year where he gave Lockie Neal a fine, Lockie Neal sought out the umpire and touched him. Mm. So it was deliberate contact. There's an argument to be made whether Lockie Neal was seeking the umpire to say, hey, I'm bleeding, I should have got a free kick. No wonder I'm bleeding, I got a hit to the head. Or was he saying to the umpire, I'm bleeding, I need to go off. So he did make deliberate contact with an umpire and got a fine. So is Chris O constrained by that? There's uh, plenty to ponder, no doubt. We're going to run out a little bit of time, mm. so we'll continue this uh, conversation and uh, work out the uh, the diagnosis of uh, Toby Green. But I, I mean, get the clearly, wind up then. Did I get the wind up then? Did I? I think uh, yeah. That was, the, just uh, that was the Oscars. Right. Yeah, yes. a little, yeah. little subtle uh, wind up. <laughs> I, was to, I was about to clap you. Yeah, <laughs> <that's right. laughs> no, I still have a mum to thank. Just take another, another sip of the coffee, and we'll uh, we'll come back to Wayne. Plenty to dissect. We're an hour away, an hour and twenty away from the Bulldogs. And the Bombers on AFL Nation uh, throughout the afternoon. Looking forward to that. Plenty to still pull apart from yesterday as well. And we'll get to a verdict on uh, Toby Green before the day is out. You're listening to AFL Nation, our pre-game show for the Beaumont Tolls Trade Club. Going to have a chat to Stephen King inside the Bulldogs camp and Blake Carousella inside the Bombers camp. That's coming up in the next hour. Welcome back, AFL Nation. It's the Western Bulldogs and Essendon uh, coming up this afternoon. We're looking forward uh, to that uh, fifth versus eighth, not the position the Dogs uh, wanted to be in, but they're in a a cutthroat elimination final for the third year running. And, of course, the Bombers trying to break their long drought of not winning a final dating back to uh, Kevin Sheedy 2004. Brett Phillips, uh, Dwayne Russell and uh, Justin Lippich as we continue the build-up. It's our AFL Nation pre-game show for Beaumont Tiles uh, Trade Club. We'll come back to a little bit of Toby Green. Stephen King in uh, just a moment and also Blake Carousella is going to join us uh, from the Bombers. Uh, we might go straight into the uh, Bulldogs uh, camp and Stephen King, long-time assistant coach, does join us down at uh, Utah Stadium in uh, Launceston. Uh, Stephen, welcome to AFL Nation. Afternoon, fellas. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on. Uh, give us a, a feel for the, the build-up inside the Bulldogs camp. Um, oh, it's an exciting time. Obviously, it's the time of year everyone wants to be playing, and, and you know, we're here down in Tassie. It's a bit unique, obviously, staying down here and quarantining with the team you're playing today, but, um, you know, it, it is what it is. And, yeah, we're here down in Launceston and looking forward to the challenge today. Hey, Kingy Lepper here, mate. Uh, how, do you, how, do you go on? how do you see the game now after last week? Did it take some time to get away from the disappointment? I, I know even after the loss, you still had the potential chance of the Lions, you know, I guess messing up and still giving you that four spot. Did you have to spend some time early in the week with the boys mentally just to get them over that? I think initially just the disappointment of losing last week to Port Adelaide by such a narrow margin, you know, it was enough of a disappointment. And then once things are out of your control, it's, it's really hard to sit back and watch. But I think for us, we just want to get back to playing the brand of footy that we were earlier in the year. And this gives us a great opportunity to do that. And it is an elimination final. But, you know, hopefully we can put, put to, uh, to, lesson, to, uh, sorry, to learn some of the lessons we you know, missed out on against Essen last time we played them. And, yeah, we just accepted it. And we're just, as I said, trying to discover our form that we, we know we, we can play at. Yeah, what, what is that? What is that spark? We've spoken about it a lot. I think the Doggies are probably the most talked about team at the moment because of that sort of a, just from the recent history. Can you give us an insight into what are some of the things that have been discussed there in match committee and, and with the players? I think for us mainly it's just getting our, just our bite back around the footy. I think our, our clearance contested ball numbers just haven't been at the level as what they were earlier in the year. And, and for us, probably just the dynamic of that mix that we have in there. I think, 
you know, we, we've had a couple of people back from injuries and, and, you know, that just sort of changed the dynamic of the group a little bit. So we probably play with a different, um, different mixes that go through the middle at times. We've, we've, we've seen Marcus play more time forward, but, you know, I think, I think now we've probably sat down as a group and just sort of worked out, you know, what the balance of the team needs to be. Um, you know, and I think we saw in patches last week, us back to our best, but we know we've still got a bit of a way to go and we'll try and, get that ticking along today. And what about the ruck? What is the, the mystery ingredient today that we're going to see? Oh, look, I think, for, yeah, the ruck, the ruck's position for us has always been one we've tried to risk manage for a few years. And, you know, I don't think we've been up, up there in the uh, hit-out department for a while. So for us, it's just about managing that, um, getting predictability from our ruck. So you, you'll see Louis Young and, and Timmy English, you know, share that, that duties today again. And, and uh, you know, hopefully they can both contribute up forward as well. So... Do you get what you would like at selection, Stephen, or do you just get to work with what you're given? How much say do you have on Steph Martin or Jordan Sweet? Oh, look, I think for that that perspective, those boys, you know, it, it's about the total. Like Steph, Steph sort of missed, it, I think, 12 weeks of footy, came back, played one scratch match and didn't pull up extremely well from it. So really couldn't be considered. Um, obviously, from a ruck point of view, you'd love to, but... Um, just with the body of work that he's missed out on, I, I think it'd be just too big a risk to actually come out here and play 120 minutes of finals footy. So just the collective body of work just wasn't there and the timing for Steph at this point. Um, you know, hopefully we can continue our season and he, he builds again, had a really good session yesterday. But um, yeah, that's it's an overall team team balance and being able to play multiple roles for the team as well. So that's what the boys, Youngie and, and also Timmy English give us. And Jordan Sweet? Yeah, sweetie, I think it's just more around him adding to his craft. So the, the complete game, being able to spend time forward, having impact around the ground. And he's still a young developing ruckman as well. So, you know, we, we love flexibility in our team, not just in one position. And, and we feel this is the mix for us, you know, moving forward, especially in this campaign. Yeah, you didn't play them that long ago. And they kicked six goals three from centre square bounce. And you'd know that um, <laughs> being the man yeah. in the middle. What was that? What was, what was the reason why that happened? And what are some of the things you can do in a 6-6-6 environment? It's not like you can put a spare behind the ball. What can you do when those things happen, when you lose your way in centre square bounce? Oh, look, I, I did forensically go through each of those stoppage goals. And, uh, you know, Jakey Stringer had a big say. I, I think we uh, probably got learned, taught a couple of little lessons in there, which we'll try and you know, rectify today. Um, you know, he's a burst player, obviously takes the game on. And look, to be honest, I mean, a couple of those clearances, we did force them wide to the junctions. But to Essendon's credit, some of their goal kicking last time was unbelievable. So um, I think Waterman and, and Big Pete was uh, were, were slotting them from 50 out in the junction. So look, sometimes you've got to tip your cap, but I think there's a couple of things we can do a bit better today which we'll, we'll need to. And he did kick seven, Peter Wright, as you said. And I think Josh Shackey had him for the most part last time you played. Obviously, that'll change today. Is it just as simple as swap the match up and get a better result there? Yeah, we've got Alex Keith playing today, so that'll give the back end a lot of confidence. And, yeah, I think Pete obviously played really well. I think two of his goals came from the ruck when he sort of spread forward as well for some ruck infringement. So that probably wasn't the matchup. That was just a game of footy. But, um, yeah, I think uh, big Keithy back there today is going to give the boys a lot of confidence. Stephen, trying to trying to find your best again. I mean, your your best was on par with the best in the competition up until about three weeks ago. A couple of little blips, yep. and obviously, you know, trying to put last Friday night behind you as quickly as possible to recognise that you've yep. had in you know in general terms a, a great season. Just take us inside. Yeah. Just the feeling um, of the group trying to get things back on track this week. Oh, I think when you look at our body of work, it's still we do believe our best is still good enough. Yep. Um, the Essendon game we dropped against them early in the year, we did have 60 inside 50s and 20 marks inside 50. So 
we just couldn't execute in front of goal. I think we had 11 shots on goal that didn't register a score. So, um, so we're confident the process is right. Um, I think down here we had a really poor game against Hawthorne and that was undoubtedly our worst performance for a couple of years. And even just reflecting back now on the Port Adelaide game, I mean, they're, they're a bloody good side. And to get pit by them at the, you know, at the end of the game, you know, shows that we can still match it with the best. We've just got to take confidence in that preparation. It's going to hold us in good stead today. All the best. We're looking forward to it. It's going to be a cracking game coming up in uh, just over an hour. Thanks, guys. Can't wait. Thanks, See you later. Stephen okay. King inside the uh, Bulldogs camp, a uh, long-time assistant coach under Luke Beveridge, and a shout-out for Ringers Western. Uh, Ringers Western clothing looking magnificent in the city and uh, toughs it out on the land as well. When you think back to that game, that's the freshest, isn't it? I was there at Marvel that day. Dons get... Uh, the better the the breakaway stuff from the middle was electric, and Peter Wright just had an absolute uh, day out. So that that'll be great for Essendon, fresh in their mind. Well, when you think about it, you, you've got those two really big numbers: the six goals from centre square bounce. So, that, so a positive of that is you can go. Well, there's one big number we could rip off the opposition if we can get that right. Well, there's six goals taken away from the game. If we get Peter Wright. Right, <laughs> which yeah. is another seven. So there's, there's a couple of big ticket things I think the doggies can look at quite simply and target and, and be better off already just quite simply. And a string of clearance. Yeah, that's right. You don't want to allow a string of clearance of all clearances, well, do you? I wanted to delve a little bit deeper with Kingy on what that actually means and what can you do in a 666 environment when a guy like mm. a Jake Stringer or a Christian Petrarca, Dusty Martin, busts through the middle of a centre square bounce. Well, you were talking so about, earlier, about about the fact that if you, if you can get them to have the kick almost on the back pedal as opposed to getting out the front with Stringer on the run, completely different clearance. Yeah, well, two different clearances. If you allow the uh, Ruckman to hit backwards and they quick kick it from behind the circle, it's much better than a penetrating one out the front, whereas Essendon with Stringer, um, we saw it last night with Melbourne with Petrarca, they get out the front and that, it just makes the ball go deeper inside your 50 and the deeper inside the 50, the more pressure's on your back. So it's, it's often how penetrating that clearance can be. When the reality, Dwayne, is that there's a hell of a lot more riding on this for the Bulldogs than Essendon, despite Essendon's drought. I mean, they mightn't have expected to be in September this year. First full year under Ben Rutten, and we can see what they're building. I mean, Essendon is so watchable, and you can see what they might become. But for the Bulldogs, from where they were and a couple of elimination finals the last couple of years, it's a bit on it. We've kind of known for a while that the Dogs are a really good team. I'm still a little with the unknown when it comes to Essendon. Darcy Parrish, Merritt, they've all had outstanding seasons. So... You know, these guys are, are lifting themselves to a point where they might actually have a huge final and let the world know, hey, um, we're a team that can actually do damage this year, but also for the next two or three years as well. There's something something happening at Essendon at the moment. Yep. Oh, I think the Doggies also hasn't been there the last month. Their one wood is their inside work. They're, they're, I think they're a little bit more hardened and clean than, than Essendon. Um, in general sense, and over the course mm. of the year with contested ball. It hasn't been there the last month for them, but that's that's what they need to focus And Stephen King said that. He goes, if we don't get that right, well, I don't think their bookends are strong enough to survive if they don't get the midfield dominance right. Just just the ground today, man. It's, it's grass, it's goalposts. We know Launceston, uh, <laughs> you know, adds a, a few different complexities. I mean, they've lost their last four matches there by an average of 45 points. So that's just a stat yep. you can throw out there. It means nothing going into today. But the ground itself and the way the dogs play, well, you're right. It is grass and post. And if you, if I was a piece of grass, I'd want to live in Launceston because that looks like a it's beautiful spot to be. Bowling grass. <laughs> it's always <laughs> raining and sunny and raining, so it'll always be nice and green. But you know, you're right. They, they don't love playing down that part of the field. Essendon don't play down there much either. So this, this is where that part of it's a bit of an, an unknown. I think it's hard to sort of 
have that if, you, if you're tipping in the game. I, this venue today, I, I probably wouldn't have either any weight on either side for it. It would be a different final feel playing a final in as opposed to when you guys are playing finals in front of full houses at a at a G or an Adelaide yeah. Oval or a full Gabba, which would probably feel more finals-like. So it's a little sort of off-Broadway-ish in a way. Mm. It is, but they're playing in front of no crowds anyway at the moment. So I, it's funny, last night there was two or three occasions where, and twice as Ben Brown, funny enough, where he thought he marked the ball, so he's going back and it was play on, but yeah. you couldn't hear the umpire. So you can see the players aren't quite used to having that level of noise, noise. around them and, and reacting to it. Do the dogs find their best again today? What's the what's the feeling with an hour away? I'm nervous about both these teams. Yeah. Um, it's, it was a, I tipped Essendon off the off the back of just recent history and what they did last time. The fact I think they're outside games a bit better than what uh, the Bulldogs is. Um, so that's the only reason. But if the doggies light it up around the contest, they could win by five goals. But uh, they hasn't they haven't done it for five weeks, so it's very hard to sit there and tip them to do it. Yep. What's your no, feeling, Dwayne? Ah. Uh, I mean, Norton playing really, really well and Norton not playing that well is a big parameter as well. It just changes everything. So, yeah, your big moments, guys, your big name players. Bontempelli's been down a little bit, but, you know, you, you wonder whether or not that's something that uh, is being forced on him, that the reason he's down is because he's playing on good opposition and whether other teams like Essendon will now look at the tape from the last three weeks and worked out how is Bontempelli down so we're going to do the same thing or is it just Bont been down and he's actually going to lift himself to another level again because he's the Bont. I mean, this the Bombers' offensive prowess has been discussed. I mean, their, their stoppage work, their clearance work, get it inside. They move the ball quickly from half back. But this, this back six, and they're minus Nick Hine today, who's been mm. sensational as that rebounding defender. But uh, Ridley, Laverde, Stewart. I mean, they, they have held up, haven't they? Everyone talks about their ability to kick scores, but they've they've, they've found a defence that has just gelled and, and got some real synergy. Yeah, they made a lot of bold calls over the off-season. I think there are eight or nine players are playing new positions from their previous season. That includes probably Darcy Parrish, who's a, yep. now a full-time mid as opposed to a part-time, whatever role he was playing last year. So they're, they're very quickly jumped up with a lot of change, not just changing the structure and system and how they play, but also their personnel. I think Ben Rutten's done a good job. When you watch them play, I did the game last week against Collingwood, and when you look behind the ball, they're, they're set up so strong. Their defenders communicate so well. All of their back six are quite athletic, so... Um, you'd be happy with Laverde or Cutler or Heppel on half the – it doesn't really matter who they play on, which means that you can play a really good system. But if you had a back line who one player has to play on that player and the next one has to play on that player or the whole system breaks down, you can get pulled apart a little bit. But the beauty about Essendon's defense, they're all mobile, they're all athletic. You'd be happy You'd be happy on Tom Stewart on a small, you know, in the goal square because he's rather athletic as well. So they've actually got a really good athletic mix back there. So if you're you're coaching today, Leper, it's just interesting interesting to hear Stephen King just talk about the ruck uh, I meant dynamic. James Stewart too, not Tom yeah, Stewart, right? Yeah, we knew what you correct, meant. Correct, correct. Yeah. Uh, how good Draper's been this year as an emerging ruckman. So percentage time of English been in because no doubt they would love English to be alongside Norton at various times. We were expecting a few showers as well. So the, the day is going to be interesting. Ball in the air, ball on the ground, and then pinch hitting with a, a Lewis Young, for example, and the, and the breakdown of that. Ideally. Yeah, and Steph Martin not playing is – I think they needed a spark, the doggies, to come into their team to give something a bit of a, a circuit breaker. And if Steph came in, that would have been the, whoa, we've got this big monster coming in that's going to separate, you know, going to be strong against Draper and, and give us, you know, advantage with the ball. That can actually – even if it's just, you know, perception, it gives you a, a, another advantage. Whereas I'm looking at, well, Draper is going to go up against a young – uh, and you think, oh, that you're still probably going if you're a doggy's midfielder thinking, oh, that's not, that's, that's probably. Can you, put it, can you put it on English, though? You've been around longer than this guy. 
So you're not playing against Max Gorn. Yeah. You're not playing on a, on a Scott Lice set. You're not playing against Mumford. You're playing on a guy, guy who you've actually got more experience than. Can you put it on English? I know if you're not physical, you can't be physical, but he might actually be okay against Draper, couldn't mm. he? It's a good question. You're right. I mean, I think a lot of coaches in the past, if this is the decision they're left with, which is the high draft pick Ruckman going up or go to some other plan which has him as a part-time forward and a part-time this, mm. you're probably leaning towards just back the kid in and encourage him, even if in the recesses of your mind you're yeah, thinking, you change your mind a quarter time. I'm not sure yeah. if this is going to work. <laughs> yeah. um, but you just you, you just literally back the plan in and have a plan B, whereas he's going the other way. It's almost he's their plan B, which is which probably doesn't build him in confidence no. either. But I think Sam Draper's a bit of a mini-mummy, to be honest. So yeah, he's he got is. that physical yeah, component to him. <laughs> yes, he for is. sure. <laughs> We're going to take a break. There's uh, so much to look forward to. Just the, the battle between uh, the two uh, coaches uh, today and how it all plays out strategically. Uh, you're listening to the AFL Nation pregame show for the Beaumont Tolls Trade Club and for Rainbird, uh, smarter irrigation, the intelligent use of water. We'll check in with the Bombers uh, very soon and Blake Carousella and continue to build up to the second elimination final. A sports news update for Roll. New dumpling range from Roll Vietnamese. Hi, Phoebe Humphrey here with a sports news update. In the NRL, North Queensland have shown a glimmer of hope after ending a 10-match losing streak with a win against the Dragons. The Cowboys were down by 10 at halftime but came back out of the break for a 38-26 victory. Landing four tries in nine minutes, the Cowboys dominated the young Dragons side through the middle. And Brisbane had two men sent to the sin bin as Cronulla came from behind to win and scrape back into the top eight. The 24-16 win puts the Sharks two points clear of the Gold Coast ahead of Cronulla's last round date with the Storm. And Parramatta have come back into the top four contention after ending the Storm's chance of setting a new record for consecutive wins with a 22-10 victory. Most tipped the Storm to become the first team in history to record 20 straight wins, but the reigning premiers were overshadowed by a strong Eels side. That's latest what for Rolled, family-made Vietnamese, served fast and fresh. You're listening to AFL Nation for the Beaumont Tiles Trade Club. Welcome back. Uh, Sunday afternoon footy, the second elimination final uh, coming up in exactly an hour's time. The Western Bulldogs and Essendon from Utah Stadium uh, down in Launceston. Uh, top of 13 degrees today. Going to be a few showers around the ground as we often remarked, Wayne, is just uh, picture perfect. It is uh, beautiful, even if there is a little bit of uh, precipitation later on. Would have been a bit of fog for the boys at Barnburgle, I reckon, this morning. Indeed. Well, there was actually the... Uh, the Giants players just doing their recovery uh, look pretty fresh mm. <laughs> there today, be fair to say. But a beautiful part of the world with the freshness to go with it. Exceptional. I think they're there for the next two or yeah, three days. Yeah, you can days. see those that played the hole before you. You can see their putt line as well. Yeah. That when helps out. That, yeah, yes, exactly. there's nothing better than that, is there? <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, and I said this in the first hour, when they had the drone over uh, Utah Stadium yesterday, and I'm sort of thinking five, ten years down the track. Yeah, I, mean, I think we all hand on heart, would love to see Tasmania get their own team. And what that might look like, Dwayne, in a decade's time, a full packed-out ground, 20,000-plus. Wearing the green with the big Tasmania on the front. Oh, it would, they've it got to nice. change that jumper. Do they, you can't have a team with that jumper, can you? The green one? What's oh, wrong with that? Well, I guess that when the Crows come in, they didn't adopt the actual South Australian jumper. So no, there was another team from that state that might have come in at maybe, some stage but later. Yeah, well, that's what that's so the they weren't representing why. the whole state because... Yep. 
I'm thinking about Tassie's second team already. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You know, don't want to have when they come you in. You don't want the green jumper with that Tasmania. <laughs> oh, look, it's okay. I, I just It didn't work for Frio early days, the green. Oh, there's, okay. like, there's something about it. No, a deeper just, shade of green. You think so? Like, yep. like, almost like the Giants, they're charcoal, but now yeah, the jumper's almost yeah, like black. Exactly. So. It'll take on different evolutions. <laughs> uh, Tom Green, a suspected uh, crack in his forearm is the news we're hearing. Lipper out of uh, the Giants. Well, he'll probably play on with that, won't he? He's a tough, tough character. Oh, he's a tough yeah. as nails, that boy. He's a great player. For them, but uh, one thing the Giants are lucky enough is they do have depth in that um, part of the part of the ground, so um, they'll be fine to cover him even if he if he misses. Just wanted to get your thoughts, uh, Leper, on Ed Langdon, and we we spoke about it uh, briefly while Dell was here, who's obviously got a long history with uh, Ross Lyon, but uh, Ed Langdon, uh, of course, uh, caught up with AFL Nation post game, uh, having just a chat about uh, Lyon and also uh, Simon Goodwin, the comparison. I've come from, um, you know, five years of the rough line method, so it is a, absolutely a nice change to have someone as cool, calm and collective as Goody. I don't think I've heard him raise his voice since I've been at the club, so um, coming over from Freo when, you know, you don't look rough in the eye in a meeting and he <laughs> starts yelling at you, it's, uh, <laughs> that's been a nice change. So, mm. <laughs> uh, and, and Dell said earlier he'd only seen the transcript, hadn't actually heard the audio, thought it might have been a little bit jovial. It didn't really sound that jovial. It was just a, a comment. He was he was asked about, and I think he's uh, come out today and just sort of made contact with Ross just to maybe clarify exactly how he intended those comments to, uh, to come across. Um, the, the balance, though, uh, of coaching, I mean, be, there's no perfect coach, I imagine, in getting this right all of the time. This balance between... The hard approach, the cuddle, how you work that with a group and then individually how you break that down, knowing what gets the best out of certain players. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess there's two parts of this. There's what Ed Langdon said, which I think – I mean, they've had a flawless year, Melbourne, and Simon Goodwin hasn't had to deal with anything, really. This is mm. the first time he's probably going to go, oh, do you really have to say that part of it? <laughs> Even though it was part jovial, you know, but, but as most people take – uh, think seriously and they don't get the sarcasm of it. So, And then the second part is coaching. I'll ask you, what is a good coach? I don't know because we all have different personalities and we yep. all want something different. So a good coach is someone, maybe someone that tells them how it is because it gets the best out of them. Other people are like, well, that just stresses them. So that same approach could not work for the next guy. So it is really in the eye of the beholder. That's why you need a good and diverse mix of coaches on your coaching panel um, to to actually make sure then you, you put the right guy with the right person so you get the best out of him. That's that's why I've always said it's not all about just a senior coach. You've got to surround him with the others to help him out. Lee Matthews would have been nothing without a Craig Lambert because yep. Lee was the big hard guy. Craig was the one that was a glue half the time that would, you know, tell Lee, you know, you need to go give him a bit of a pump up. He's feeling a bit bad at the moment. So Lee would then go to the meeting and say, oh, you're doing a great job, Dwayne. You had mm. a great game on the weekend. And everyone thought that great, Lee had this, you know, great sixth sense and empathy, but really it was Lambie feeding him all the information. So mm. You need to have the great people around you to make the coaches great as well. So it's a good team. It's a team system. Yep. You're asking the wrong guy looking at me. I'm an old guy. <laughs> I don't know what it's like to play for a coach who doesn't yell at you occasionally. I don't know. Every coach I've ever had would have blasted me for not looking them in the eye. Yep. And yep. blasted you in front of everybody else well, has, as well. Has, so coaching has evolved, hasn't it? It's changed. Absolutely. And when I, I look, I coached for two years at Colac and yeah. Sebastopol. And, and you know, you, you realise quickly you, you're – you really do have to, um, you know, cuddle some blokes and try and work out who, who, you know, responds best to what because you can't treat everyone the same 
many more. Yeah, it used to be that you, the players used to manage their personality around the coach's personality. Spot on. And now the coaches yep. have to manage their personality around the actual yep. players. It's almost flipped the other way. And I was terrible at it because I didn't quite understand that. Yep. And talking to Greg Popovich, coach of San Antonio Spurs, a couple of years ago about this exactly thing, the carrot versus you know, and the stick, um, he was saying that even some guys who all their life think they want to cuddle, sometimes actually do want to be yeah. told off. But yep. sometimes it has to be not in front of the group. It has to yes. be behind closed doors. So you also have to judge that. Is the telling off in front of everybody? I mean, I always say used to have coaches who, who knew who they could tell off, so they would blast that guy in front of us, and we all know it's not his fault. Yep. So he's copping the blast, and I should be getting it. So there's a bit of that methodology, I think, that's old school as well. No doubt. Just some news out of the dog. Zane Cordy has been replaced, slipper by uh, Ryan Gardner in the okay. selected side. So Josh Shecky will be the midi sub and uh, Nick Cox, who unfortunately has played a bulk of the year, has um, not found himself in the team in the last part of the year. If interestingly use at all has their sub quite a bit, mm. the doggies, haven't they? Shecky's well, done it a couple of times. So it's an alternative ruck if they want. Well, I don't know. Well, I, I just thought the use of, say, Sam Pelpepper, that was, that was very evident what a guy with that sort of explosive running power and strength can do late in the game yeah, if things do on. go your way. I guess they're generally using it for, I guess, a potential second ruck issue. That news just in from the dogs. After the break, we're going to go inside the uh, Bombers camp. Have a chat to Blake Carousella next on AFL Nation. You're listening to AFL Nation for the Beaumont Tiles Trade Club. Welcome back, AFL Nation around Australia. Great to have you with us. Brett Phillips, Dwayne Russell and Justin Lepich. We have been inside the Western Bulldogs camp ahead of this second elimination final and chatted to Stephen King. Let's uh, go inside the Bombers and chat with their assistant coach, uh, Blake Carousella. Blake, welcome to the coverage. Yeah, thanks, guys. Give us a little bit of a feeling on the ground uh, down there before Leper and Dwayne pull this apart from a, a strategical point of view. The ground looks magnificent. Uh, the crowd is going to build. We saw that yesterday. Great to have a crowd for finals footy, but just give us a, a little bit of a feel for a ground that you have been to earlier this year. Yeah, the ground's nice. A little bit soft, but the Essendon crowd is building. I'd say there's probably 80% Essendon supporters here at the moment. Hopefully that continues. Um, yeah, it's a really exciting... Uh, environment right now. Our players are out there warming up and the dogs are about to come up, come out and, and do their wipe as well. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to a big game. Hello, Blakey. How you going, mate? Slepper here. Um, well done on the turnaround uh, this season. You and Truck have done a good job getting the boys back on track. We'll touch on your back line first. Obviously, a, a string of changes made in all parts of your ground, but just that part of the ground. You look really solid behind the ball. Now, what are some of the things you've adopted back there to make this part of your ground really strong? Uh, really, it's experience. So we started the year with uh, you know Laverty going back, James Stewart going back, uh, Dyson Heppel probably going back as well. Uh, Hindy coming across in St Kilda. We've basically got a new backline. Um, only player down there from last year really is Jordan Ridley, who uh, you know he's played. I think at the start of the year he played about 30 games. He won the best and fairest. It's a really young backline, and I think uh, as the season's got on, they've been uh, well. They started with a. Uh, not much experience, and they've got better and better as the years gone on. I think um, the whole team has really, uh, you know, the, the back line's really, well, our defence is a product of what happens up the field, and the midfield uh, has got better with their pressure, and the backs have supported them as well. How much have you taken, you, you and Truck, over from Richmond, the, the terminologies, the plan? We, I know you stole obviously very well from having worked with you. How much of it's about the same, you think, as a percentage? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, of course, we borrowed uh, some things. Uh, a lot of talk about Jake Stringer playing the Dustin roll forward. 
Uh, the defence, I think most teams play a similar type of defence right now. Uh, we've probably borrowed uh, maybe 25, 30% of what Richmond do, but I think uh, across the year, and in particular this season, I reckon a lot of teams have adopted what Richmond were doing for three or four years. Well, you hadn't played this team not long ago, uh, Blake, and you dominated out of the centre square bounce. What are some of the lessons out of that? We know Doggies are generally a good contested ball team around the clearances, and they've been down in that area. What are the things you're going to focus on today in that part of the game? Yeah, certainly matching the, the dogs, they're very good inside. They put a lot of their effort to getting players across the contest, winning the ball and fighting tackles and using their hands. So we need to match them there. But if you go back to that game, uh, yeah, I think it's six, six goals, three from centre bounce, which is uh, you know, a fantastic result. Um, and the, the danger is we don't really know how they're going to, going to react to that this, this time. I don't think they'll go with what they've done for most of the year. Um, Collingwood went okay against us last week. They may uh, copy some of what they did, or they, they may stick to their their own thing. So it's a little bit hard to, uh, to understand or, or to guess what is going to happen, but we know the fundamentals are the most important thing, which is winning the ball and, and, and having good craft and then taking the ball forward. So, so you think that's where your strength is then on the outside? So if the doggies do get a bit of a run on in their clearance work, you think your outside work can win the ball back and maybe use that offensive flair you got to go back the other way? Yeah, I think uh, our, one of our key attributes our, our team is our speed, speed and agility and power. If you look at our midfield with Shield, McGrath, Merritt, Parrish, uh, Stringer. They've got a lot of power and speed to get out of the, the, the traffic and then uh, get a good look going inside 50. And last time, Big Peter Wright, he's the, he was the man of the moment, wasn't he? He kicked seven for you guys there. They'll probably have a bit of a tougher opponent, I would have thought, with Keith in the team this time. And they might make it a little harder back there. What are some of the things you're focusing on in the front half of your ground? Yeah, certainly that, that connection going inside 50. Uh, it's probably the hardest part to part of the ground to find a free target inside forward 50 and um, once again uh, you know, out to the centre bounce last time coming out the front of the, the, the contest and then trying to find a free or we, and we all know the dogs play really high defence too so if you can break a line you can sometimes get free players over the back so um, hopefully we can uh, use our power and speed inside the contest get the ball to the outside and then connect inside 50 whether it's a lead up player or, or maybe one over the back Teams have put a, a lot of time uh, into uh, Libba over the course of the last month or so because he is a big part of the engine room for them. You don't normally tag in that part of the game. Have you got any plans for him or any other the doggies mids if they get off the leash? Yeah, no, we do tend to stick to what we do. We have got some plans. Uh, what if scenarios, if, if things do get out of control, we've got a suspicion that he might go to Darcy Parish at stoppage and then um, they can yeah. go their own way post-stoppage. But, uh, yeah, if it is working, we've got to work out what to do with Darcy Parish and... And we have got where we're lucky to have quite a few midfielders who can go into those roles. And Jai Caldwell comes in playing his first game since, since round two. He's a really good stoppage player. So potentially, you know, if Darcy's not getting the job done, then he, he can certainly have a go at it. And you've worked with Truck, obviously, as an assistant coach. And now you're, you're working under him now as, the, as now him as the main man. Is he still the same guy? Is he still the same man as assistant coach? He still seems unflappable and he still seems as cool and calm as ever. But is, that, is he still that way behind the scenes? No, he's done a fantastic job, uh, Truck, this year, and uh, it's full credit to him to, to develop uh, what we've done with the Essendon Footy Club from, uh, I guess, the end of last year through the last 12 months, and to get to where we are now, playing at a final, uh, not many people thought we'd be here, maybe even the players themselves at the start of the year didn't think they'd be here also, but we're here, and um, I'm sure we can uh, play really well. Now we've, we've seen now with the uh, modern landscape of coaching, we see Craig McRae's name's mentioned. You work with him, Adam Kingsley's name's been mentioned. You played with Michael Voss, all your contemporaries getting talked about in jobs. And you've been a lot of 
senior experience coaching panels. When are we going to hear Blake Carousella's name come up? We hear it in little murmurs, but are you going to be the main man one day, Blakey? Uh, potentially down the track, mate. I, I did have a chat to a, a club at, uh, during the year this year, but um, right now uh, in my life, it's not the right time for me to, uh, to take on a, a, a role that's so encompassing and uh, got three kids at home and uh, we've got to make sure that we look after those uh, three people first. Blake, uh, just one last one before we uh, let you go. And Nick Hind is out of the team. We all love watching Nick Hind. Any rebounding, dashing defender who tucks the ball under the arm and gets some metre, which we love watching. But and Marty Gleeson's only played five games, but he's, he's a sort of guy that, I mean, you can never replicate one player exactly the same as the other, but a guy that you can probably rely on to, to give you a pretty good output today, even though he's sort of been pushed out of the team with what's developed underneath and replaced him this year. Yeah, it's unfortunate behind he's not playing. He's been a really good player for us this year. And, and uh, when we had that injuries throughout the year, Gleason's come in and they, he's done a really good job too. Yeah. So there's no doubt we're going to lack a little bit of Heine's run. But at the same time, uh, Nathan Redmond, uh, Dawson Heppel and Gleason, uh, Tom Cutler, we've still got some running defenders in there and hopefully they can uh, fill the void. Well, mate, we'll let you get down to business. Got the rock band going on in the background there. There's plenty happening down at Utah Stadium. All the best. Should be a cracking game. Okay, thanks, guys. Have a good call. Blake Carousel, assistant coach there at uh, the Bombers. That was fun listening to yeah, was, his old mate. I took over a little no, bit, no, didn't I? I enjoyed it. There's nothing better than two people who know yep, each other exactly very right. well. Uh, yep. Just talking about the nuts and bolts of footy and sometimes <laughs> you sit back and you learn a couple you, of things. You talk about styles of coaching. He would be one of the smartest coaches I've ever coached with. So, you know, if he's not number one, he's number two, Blake Carousel. So if you talk about what is a good coach, he could coach his AFL team. Then, then you're asking, what do you want to put around him? If you're, if you're hiring a strategist, what, then what do you have to put around if you've got a strategist as their key competency? So hey, anyone can do those roles, yeah. but it's just what you put around them. I mean, he's always been talked about, hasn't he? He's sort of yeah. been in the frame when you start making the list. Uh, Blake sort of appears on that list, but it's when the window comes, there's not many jobs, and then what that club may need at the time, how yeah. does your personality fit? But he's one that everyone seems to endorse, though, Leper. Well, the personality is the one thing that keeps swapping. What you think, like, I think the Chris Fagan, that, that sort of, you know, the, then David Noble, that's sort of become relevant, and now we want that sort of style of coach. It's funny how it comes in waves. Yep. You know, experienced coaches, rookie coaches, it always comes in waves. So how old are his kids, and how far away are they to, to an age where he might consider it? Then he sounded yeah, like that was well, the reason holding him back. Well, everyone's different um, with that. Some guys can do it with, with young kids and, and manage it really well. It, it really depends on what you want to do. And I, I, Blake raises a really good point. It's something that we don't think about. It's like Don Pike coming. Everyone just says, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, come to Collingwood. My first thought is the poor guy's just moved his whole family to Sydney yep. eight months yep. ago. And my first, is he going to pack him up again? Like, that's my thinking. I have a guy that's moved twice now for chasing yeah. the football dream. By the end, you're like, going, I'm not going to Perth to yep. be Adam Simpson's assistant coach and move my kids again. That yep. is a real part of life. Yep. Timing uh, pretty uh, critical. We might come back after the break and discuss a little story that's going around uh, today as the Carlton coaching position certainly hots up. Plenty of interest around that over the next week or two. You're listening to the AFL Nation pregame show for the Beaumont Tiles Trade Club. We'll be uh, back with more here on AFL Nation. You're listening to AFL Nation for the Beaumont Tiles Trade Club. We've rung the changes again, wholesale interchange. Sam Hargraves, Nick Dalsano back. BP still with us. We've got a late change uh, and, and a big selection decision that's been made for the Bulldogs. We'll get to in just a moment, but let's get an odds update thanks to Points Bet first. 
a PointsBet update. It's shacking easy to bet anytime. Download the PointsBet app today. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. G'day punters. Elliot from PointsBet having a look at the last game of the first round of the finals. The elimination final, Western Bulldogs versus Essendon. Western Bulldogs, their favourites with us at PointsBet. $1.55 head-to-head. Essendon outsiders at $2.50. Getting a 10-point start on the line with this as well. The Dons, the Dogs have been popular here though today. First goal scorer market's always popular. Aaron Norton, first line of betting. He's $9 along with Jake Stringer. Peter Wright is $12. Cody Waitman, 13 to kick the first at points bet. And a quick look at the total match points as well. The under, very popular. Set 148 and a half. Since good money come for the unders over the last couple of hours with us at points bet. We've got the same game multi-refund offer available on this game as well. So place a three or more league same game multi with us at points bet. And if it fails, get your money back in bonus up to $25. Plus the Elite Odds Special. So $2.50 for Bonton McRae to have 55 or more disposals between them. And the Doggies to win, you're getting $2.50 in the Elite Odds. So to find all these markets and plenty more, head to pointsbet.com.au. Download the app. And as always, please gamble responsibly. Good on you, Forbesy. Thank you to PointsBet. So Nick Dalsano, Brett Phillips. Uh, this has just come through that uh, Norm Smith medalist, Jason Johannesson, will line up as the medical sub in this game for the Bulldogs. Josh Shackey comes in mm. to the starting 22. He was the medical sub last week. Dell, first impressions of that, is that a decision based on what was a dysfunctioning forward line last week for the Dogs? So you're assuming that Shackey, therefore, has to go forward because of the way they were not able to score last week? I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, we know that Shackey's played the majority of his football in that particular space, but wasn't getting a game earlier this year when they had that full complement in the fourth half. Clearly the Josh Bruce injury going back a handful of weeks now, they, have, they haven't had time to readjust and have a new look at that and putting the players hat on for a moment. When, when you're a midfielder in any particular game, you're under pressure, let alone in a final, you want to have some reassurance forward of the football that you know where your bailout option is. If you can't lay somebody out, where do you want to put yep. this football so it gives at least one of your forwards an opportunity to launch at the football? If you don't have that then what do you do? So do you try and correct that? But Shaqie's played reasonably and solidly across the half-back line in the back half of this year. So do you try and cement that position and actually lock down your defence, knowing that the Bombers' forward line has been working really well over the last month? Or do you roll it a little bit, being the dice, and put Shaqie forward? I'm intrigued about that move if he has to go forward, though. Well, what's the matchup for him then? Because obviously Wright got a hold of him when these two teams last played seven, seven goals, but yep. Alex Keith comes back. So that's the matchup there. So then who, if you were going to play Shacky in defence, is there a logical matchup for him? Well, Francis is the other the other tall, who's, I think, a huge X factor for Essendon. I'm going to talk about Peter Wright. Aaron Francis is the guy, mm. just from what I've seen in the back half of the year, calling a lot of Essendon. He's a guy, you put it in his area, Del. Yes, he could turn it on and just do some things that could really set a final alight. I think he's an exceptional talent, but is that going to be the ideal matchup? Well, then I don't think any of them are ideal. No. So now it's what's the best case scenario? How can you. We've just had a brilliant discussion over the last couple of hours about offense versus defense and what's your priority and what should, you know, mm. what's ultimately going to get you the, the result in an elimination final. Such huge results um, off the back of this, you know, and the possibility of continue throughout this uh, finals campaign. I'll, I'll be intrigued. I mean, we'll get an indication of exactly what Luke Beveridge is thinking within the first bounce about where these players walk out onto the field. The, the, the JJ medical sub one is also a, a, an interesting one in itself. Now, as the actual medical sub, it's probably not a bad player. We know he can have impact. He's got the leg speed. We know he can turn it on mm. if there is an injury. 
but you've also left a really good player sitting there on the bench if there is no injury at all. So the magnet was moved earlier on this year to move him from halfback to half forward, mm. and he's had some really good moments. Oh, they've, good. they've had some um, – uh, well, they've had moments where he's uh, caused a bit of rancour, perhaps a couple of occasions when maybe the option was to – What do you mean by rancour? Well, just a, a bit of uh, disappointment okay. in terms of uh, maybe – not giving an option to a teammate in a better position. But yep. that's, you know, he's a flair player. He's an exciting player. Um, he is an X-Factor player. Um, and now it would seem that maybe they just don't feel like that that's exactly right for the mix inside Ford 50 for them. Mm. But then again, is Shaki the right mix? And are we? I'm, I'm more surprised with if it is a Ford line issue that Shaki's come in for, I'm surprised that Mitch Wallace isn't in this side Vice-captain, leading goal kicker last year, fantastic forward line pressure player, uh, which the ball's been coming out of their forward 50 line far too often. Their number one tackler inside forward 50 this year has been Libba. Their sentiment. Aaron Norton is second for them with 18. Waitman's got 17 and Hannon's got 17 as well. Mm. So that's an area that you'd think is a bit of a concern, Dale. English has to play forward. Well, you tell, that, you tell I, us. I'm looking at it from that structural perspective. I think that's what they'd love to. Yeah. And say, so, okay, I reckon we can probably go with a Lewis Young. We'll back in our midfield mm-hmm. to get their mojo back and, and get the ball forward because if it's, I, if not, it's not, not his own. Yeah, I was going to say, if it's not in English, they're extremely small. Now, you can accommodate for that, but they haven't played that style of football the whole year. And when you've got this midfield group, as I mentioned before, you want to have something you can kick to. If these mm. guys are getting out onto their preferred side, you look at Bonson Pally, Hunter, Trelaw as well, Dunkley even at his best, well, you want to have something to kick to. I mean, anyone can just rush it forward and take the yardage, and we'll see what the conditions are like. So maybe that style of game, but I just feel like they've got to have at least those two tall options in the front half. Well, it's maybe going to have to. If Gardner Gardner's come in for Cordy as well, so mm. who's, um, Gardner's, through illness. Gardner's only going to go back, isn't he? You would yep. think. Yeah. Not going to go forward. Well, we'll have no. all these answers. So Shaky's are more likely. That's maybe where the so that's interesting. The extra thinking. Uh, how how much do you guys like symmetry? How much do you like to go back and see what history tells us about what might happen today? Depends if history's in our favour or not. <laughs> so so we've talked a lot about Melbourne. First flag since 1964. The last time they finished on top of the ladder was then, and that's when they won their last premiership. It was an Olympic year that year, and that, and that was that Olympics that year as well. It was in Tokyo. So all that stuff. You go, oh wow, I wonder if that's fate, and wonder if that's serendipity. <laughs> When was the last time that these two teams played in a final? Essendon and the Western Bulldogs. Uh, not. In a, I want to say in the eighties. Well, you'd be wrong. Uh, I think uh, I'm thinking the nineties, maybe. No, no, we're going to help us. Nineteen fifty-three. Wow. And the name was playing that day. Yes. Sutton, Witten for the Dogs, Hutchison, Coleman. For Essendon, it was a very low-scoring game. Both teams just kicked, got, got a score of in the 40s, but mm. the Western Bulldogs hung on that Who day. Won? They kept John Coleman to just one goal on that day, and Western Bulldogs won. It's the only time they've beaten Essendon in a final. They've only played three finals before. The last one was 1953, and it was won by the Bulldogs on that day. Someone has done their research, BP, and caught us Good, out early it? on as well. Right, these two well played, I'll see though. you later. <laughs> <laughs> and these two played, if you think back to just moments, Sam, that, that home and away game was at the second last round 
when the Bombers were undefeated, the Dogs Yeah, so they're off. on top of the ladder. Chris Grant snapped. Round 21. Oh, no, you're sorry, you're talking... Yes. Going back. Yes. So this are you talking about when S, in 2000 when Essendon were going through the year undefeated? Terry's coaching the Dogs. And he implemented a game plan he'd been trying for over a year to, to get them to do, which is when he'd gone and spent uh, an off-season with the Denver Broncos and they drew up a grid. Yep. The defensive coaches for the Denver Broncos drew up a grid on how to defend space. Yes. They hadn't been able to get it right all pre-season. And then going into that last round, Terry Wells tells his story brilliantly. And he, they, they just waited and waited and waited. And then he goes, right, switch in. They implemented that game plan, weathered the storm for three quarters, came out in the last. They, they were just out on their feet, Essendon, and they just scored. They Chris were able to kicks go and a left foot sack from the boundary line. It was the year 2000. It's one of the great yes, stories when it. you hear Terry Wallace tell it because it's yep. part of the evolution into modern footy. Um, that then, you know, that was Terry Wallace and then came the flood and then came Clarko. This is, these are key moments within the progression of the game in yep. the professional mm. era. Mm. It's, a, it's a great reference, uh, that one. I just, it, it just stands in my mind forever, just those, uh, those, you know, just those moments yep. where they took a huge scalp. And, and they just got they, – they, they held, they held, they held. In the last quarter, they went into attack mode, the dogs, and, and got that win. So, so much history between these two, and they meet in a final, as we say, for the first time since 1953. Essendon trying to win their first final – in 6,203 days, <laughs> they haven't won a final lesson in, in the Clarko era. He came in in 2005. Their last finals win with 2004. Is that a blessing? Is that an omen? Who knows? We'll wait and see. But the last of the first week finals is up, and we'll drill down into it next. AFL Nation for Beaumont Tiles Trade Club, Rainbird Smarter Irrigation. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.